You are listening to the Sola Podcast, presented by One Church Senior Pastor Demetrius McClendon and Young Adult Pastor Troy Stewart. Well, welcome everybody. This is Sola, our young adult ministry here at One Church. Uh, we've taken a couple weeks off. We did our video series of the, the four videos. Uh, had a really cool discussion time, uh, really enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll be able to get back to um, some sort of discussion like that again at some point to where it's not just a straight message all the time. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a lot been going on um, in all of our lives. And so I just want to thank God for all that's happened, uh, for the graduations that have gone on, for the graduations that are coming, the weddings that are about to happen. Um, the jobs and all kinds of stuff. So we just thank you, Lord, uh, for all that you've done in and through us, God, um, and the opportunities that are opening up for us here as a group. Uh, I believe that as we continue to meet, continue to grow, continue to love each other, that uh, the Lord's really going to open doors for us here in Midlothian and and for all of Ellis County uh, and in each other's lives. And I think that's going to happen as we we really just dig into each other. Um, so that's my blessing. That's my my thankfulness over this group. Uh, for those of you that listen over the podcast, I just speak that blessing over you as well. Um, that just love will just reign in your life, that, that uh, everything just goes smoothly. And uh, we'll just want you to take a second and just thank God for all that he's done. Um, there's a beautiful thing that happens in our lives when we just stop and thank God for just no good reason other than what he's already done. Uh, because he's done enough. Amen? He's done more than enough. So tonight we're going to talk about perfect love. Um, it's an idea that we had kind of been, uh, discussing through the films about perfect love and how it casts out all fears, the scriptures say, which we're about to look at how, uh, existing in perfect love means that, uh, I, I'm not bound by success as it, as the world would say that I'm bound to faithfulness, um, that I'm resting in Jesus and, and all these ideas. So we're going to see that as we work through the scriptures tonight, our main focus is going to be on first John chapter four. Uh, verses 17 through 19. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version or the ESV. So if uh, you're reading along and it looks different, um, it's because we're reading a different version. It's the same Bible, the same truth. Um, So just be aware of that. So this is what it says. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now this is obviously written by the Apostle John, who is the the one in the Gospel of John, who he also wrote, as well, or which he also wrote, says that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. If you remember through our study of John that we did last year, uh, we said that John was somewhere around 12 to 15 years old when he first started following Jesus. Uh, so he's a young guy. He's a middle schooler, a uh, little runt, you know. So he's remembering Jesus, mind you, in his older age as this very loving, caretaking individual where uh, Peter would recall him as more of a... Uh, um, Uh, a peer, somebody right around the same age. So he's not going to see that tenderness that John sees. Not that Peter didn't see tenderness from Jesus, but he sees more of a a peer relationship coming out, somebody he can look up to right about the same level. Um, So there's some differences that we see in the disciples and how they do things, uh, which is interesting. And the epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, are called the epistles of love because it talks about uh, love all the way through it. We just saw right here, by this love is perfected and there is no fear in love. And he just talks about it over and over again. But if you actually read 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, uh, it's pretty harsh. It's more of a rebuke to the church than it is a lovey-dovey letter. He's saying uh, in chapter 2, if you sin and you call yourself a Christian, you're a liar. Love is not in you and you don't know God. You know, and he just, I mean, he's just like, here's the line, here's the standard. And this is what it is. So this is what we're dealing with when we dig into 1 John. I just wanted to preface that so we can remember who's writing this. And uh, so he's writing this to the church. And he's trying to encourage them to say, look, we need to move away. Why, why are miracles not happening? Because you're not in perfect love. Why is there doubt in your life? Because you're not in perfect love. 
Why are you still sinning and lusting and, and, and chasing after women and greed and pride and, and all these things in your life? Because you're not in perfect love. Because you've forgotten who Jesus is. Because you think that he's not enough. So he's writing this letter uh, now kind of as a fatherly figure of the church saying, you've walked away and you've got to come back. You have to come back. If you say that you're a Christian, this is what we do. So he says that, that perfect love casts out all fear. It's an amazing statement. In this uh, verse, it says, as he is, so also are we in this world. And that he there, that's Jesus that he's speaking of, okay? So what the apostle John is saying is, as Jesus is, right? And in literary uh, terms, we can know that that is a at this moment statement. Not as he was, not as he is going to be, but as he is right now. Which right now, as John is writing this, this is some, oh gosh, 30 to 40 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. So well, he's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So we look at this and it says, as he is. So that's Jesus that we know. So we need to look at how he is, right? Firstly, we know that, that Jesus is love. Okay, 1 John 4, 8, in fact, says that God is love. And we know that John chapter 1 said that Jesus is God. He is co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is a part of the Trinity. So Jesus is the embodiment of love. So as he is, well, he is love. Secondly, we can see that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, as I just said. You'll see that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Mark chapter 14, verse 62, Luke chapter 22, verse 69, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, and Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. They all tell us this. In fact, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of of God. So we can know for a fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as he is, well, he is love and he is seated. Now, the reason why I rest there at the second one, we can go on for all kinds of stuff. He is intercessor. He is high priest. He is all these things. But the most important that we can focus on while we're here on earth is that he is seated. And it's simply because this, okay, if you're doing a job and you sit down and stop, that typically means either you quit or you finished. And Jesus is not a quitter. In fact, back on the cross, he said a very telling statement. He said, tetelestai. I remember when we worked through that study of John, we studied that word tetelestai, which meant it's a, it's a bill of sale. It's been paid for, where the father would go to the market and say, here's a month worth of money for my family to come and get groceries, my wife, my children, anybody could come and in my name say, I want these 12 apples and some ham and some others. They wouldn't get ham because they're Jewish. Uh, you know, some, some lamb. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I like pork, so I would grab pork. Uh, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. I can do it. Uh, but they would go to the market and they'd say, in, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. I don't have to pay. In my dad's name, you know, Joe is my dad. So I'd say, in Joe's name, it's already paid for. Tetelestai. And then the market guy would go, yeah, Tetelestai, you're good. And I'd go away. Okay. And we also remember that Tetelestai was the word that the boss would get up on the platform and scream out over the, over the, the, the fields for the workers and say, Tetelestai. And the workers would go, oh, it's done. It's finished. Time to go home. So when Jesus screams this, now, when we think of Jesus on the cross, a lot of times we, we see him in these, these movies and we kind of picture in our head that he's so broken that he can only, oh, to, to tell, to tell us die. He can only whisper it. But have you ever been in agony? Have you ever been in a lot of pain and you try to say something calm? It doesn't work, does it? No, I mean, you, you break a bone and you're like, oh, I broke my bone. No, you're like, oh, I just broke my bone. Oh, man. Right? So here's Jesus on the cross in the most agony you can ever have. And what's he scream out? Tetelestai. You know, the Jews, the historians even said that people in the city across town were hearing him scream, Tetelestai. And they're thinking, I, I wonder if somebody in, you know, it's the midday. It, it, was, it was around, uh, uh, 
was it noon or three o'clock in the afternoon? Somewhere around their midday. Um, so there are probably people in the field working, hearing this going, is it, is it time? Is it time to stop? You know, somebody in the marketplace probably grabbing something and they're like, oh, let me pay. And they hear Tetelestine. They're like, uh, yes. You know, but he's saying it. it's paid for. Your sins are wiped away, right? This is that Tetelestine. So Jesus goes to the Father and he sits down. He just sits. He's done. It's over, man. Paid for. Done. Tetelestai. So as he is, that is the two most important things we can understand about Jesus is he is love and he is finished. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement there, Tetelestai. The next part of that statement says, so also are we in this world. So if Jesus is love, that means that we're what? Love. That we should be the physical embodiment of love. Now that love there is agape, okay? This isn't eros. I'm not telling you you can run off and go be erotic with people and intimate and, and sleep around. That's foolishness, and that's not what I'm saying, okay? This also isn't philos, to where it's that brotherly, friendly, best friend love. You're not the physical embodiment of best friend. You're not. Because if you were, you would never make somebody angry. You'd be everybody's friend. Everybody would love you all the time. You're, you're not the, the storge, which is the, the paternal you love. You can't be everybody's parents. You can only be your own children's parents. I mean, that's pretty simple. You can't be the expression of love that way all the time. But we're the agape of God. Remember, that's the self-sacrificing love that we looked at in our study of of salvation, that the agape says, I will lay my life down. We call it the, the, the unconditional love because it says, even if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. So we are the love of God on this earth. We are the agape embodied on this earth, just as Jesus was. Now hear me, I'm not saying that we're the Messiah. I'm not saying that we take Jesus' place. I'm not saying any of that foolishness, that we become God. What I'm saying is that we become his hands and his feet as he said that we should be. So as he is, he is love. So are we. At least we should be. Because I know in my life there's still times that I don't look like love. Not the agape. There's times where I don't lay my life down. In fact, I take up others. And I force them to submit to me. This is just me being honest. As a human still walking out my salvation, I still have pride. And I know that some of you here in this room, some of you listening to the podcast, that you're still dealing with that. And I want to encourage you and let you know that it's not okay, but it doesn't mean that you're over. It means that you're still walking this thing out. We're still getting better and better and better. So as he is, so also are we. Well, he's seated. He's finished. What does that tell us about us? What is left for us to do? Nothing. Except act upon the very thing that he said, which was to, to what? To love. To go into all the world, preaching and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our job, and it's already secured. I, all I have to do is declare the gospel. All you have to do is declare the gospel over somebody. Allow it to work, because it's already finished. You don't have to die for them. It's already finished. You don't have to, to work to lead them to salvation and try to convince them to do anything else. It's already finished. In fact, when we love our enemies, it's already finished. All of it's already finished if we would just abide in his perfect love. If we would just draw near to him. Because he's finished. And if, you, if you're thinking, well, I don't know about that. You know, you're saying that we're seated with him? Absolutely. Let's look at the scripture. It says in Ephesians uh, 2.6 and uh, this is saying that he, he saved us, and it goes on. You can read the, 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 the statements before in uh, verse 4 and 5. But it says, and raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us with him, Jesus, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is at the right hand of God, seated there. Then this says that in our salvation, we are then placed in Jesus, in heavenly places. Well, where is he? the right hand of God. So if we're in him, then where are we? The right hand of God. We're finished. We're done. 
Now, I'm saying this because when we pray for people, when we say, God, heal this person, are we asking as if it hasn't already happened? Or are we making a prophetic declaration that says, they are healed right now? And why do I know that? Because Jesus is seated and I'm seated. And if I'm seated with him, that means that what I just spoke is done. There's an assurity. There's a faith that we should have. And when we were watching those videos, remember we talked about perfect love and how when it doesn't happen, when we pray and the healing doesn't work, it's not because God isn't good enough. It's not because they didn't believe, but it's because I didn't have the faith, because I didn't really believe. Because Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, and these signs will follow those who believe. And that, that follows the same type of, of chasing after like a little brother over his big brother. They just happen, man, when we believe. So that tells me that there must be a disconnect between us and, and, and God. That when I pray for somebody and they don't get sick, it's because I, I didn't really believe. They didn't get healed. They didn't get sick. Wow. Dyslexia for you all over again. When I pray for somebody that's sick and they don't get healed, it's not because God didn't want to heal them. That's nonsense. Jesus is the will of God living in flesh. And every sick person he came into contact with was healed. Every dead person he came into contact with was raised. Every blind eye opened. Every mute mouth opened. All of it. Always a healing. Always a resurrection of the death. Always hope. Always peace. Always joy. Always. Because he exists in perfect love with the Father. So if there's something disconnected here, it's us. We're not existing in perfect love. There's something that we're not believing. There's something that we still need to draw in deeper with. And I'm not saying that in a shameful way of how dare you not believe. I'm saying that as, a, as, a, as an encouragement to say there has to be something blocking us. Let's look at what's blocking us and let's get it out of the way. Let's move on. You know, it's like we're, you know, we, 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 we graduated from high school, but we're not leaving anymore. We didn't leave the building. You know, we're all in our 20s still going, man, I wish I could get out of high school. You've graduated. Just leave. Go on. Get to college. Go start your career. Whatever's going on. Start a family. Just leave. And that's what's happening with our faith. That we've already moved on. It's already finished. We're just not choosing to dig in. We're not allowing ourselves. We're, we're blocking ourselves somehow with some thought system that we're not submitting I say that because Paul says that we're waging war not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and rulers of this dark world. And we tear down strongholds. And those strongholds that he's talking about are actual thoughts. Is what, what, was, what he was talking about in the, the Greek there. Is that he's saying we tear down thoughts, the strongholds in our minds that say, because when, when, you, when you look at somebody in a wheelchair, right, and, and somebody prays over them, I know for myself, at least at least 50% of the time I go, ah, they're probably not getting up. Wheelchairs are pretty permanent. You know, or somebody talks about praying for the dead, and I go, man, dead's pretty serious. That's probably not going to work. Because I have a stronghold over my mind that says this is the reality of earth, that the sick stay sick, that the dead stay dead, and that's just the way it is. But we're no longer here, are we? Because as he is, so also are we where? In this world. So I'm seated at the right hand of God in this world. So I'm not waiting to go there. You're not waiting to go there. You're not waiting for heaven to start being seated with God. You're seated there right now in Christ Jesus. So when you live this life, you're no longer living the reality of this life. You look at sickness and say, you're not real anymore. Healing is. You look at fear and say, you're not real. Love is. Death can't exist because life is. Because we exist in the reality of heaven. That's where we're from. That's what we usher onto this earth. The very reality of heaven here. And it comes from perfect love. You see, it says also that there's, there's no fear in verse 18. There's no fear in love. Zero. None. No fear in love. You know, I, I think about like Bo, you and Chelsea and Reese, you and Lauren, how you're, you're going through your engagements here. And, and there's got to be fear. There's got to be a certain amount of, whoa, 
I'm moving into a new area that I've never been in before. I'm about to give myself completely to somebody like I've never given before. Just completely. I got to share a house with this person. How do they brush their teeth? What routine do they do? Is it going to mess mine up? You have all these doubts. You have all this stuff. Am I good enough? Will they like me? When everything is said and done, are they still going to choose me? These are fears that we work through. But what does the scripture say? There's no fear in love, in the perfect love. When we draw into Jesus, we don't have to worry about, is he going to accept me? Because he already has to tell us tie. When we draw into Jesus, we don't have to think about, is he going to be with me? Is he going to stay right here? Is he ever going to leave me? No. Because he loves us and he promised us that he wouldn't. You see, it's, it's what it's talking about, no fear. That when he said that we shall perform signs and wonders even greater, and that greater, remember, is the numerical, even more than he did. When he taught that in, in John chapter 14, that we shall do greater things than he because he goes to the Father. That was a promise from him. So if perfect love is him and he says it, then we know that that thing is going to happen because he loves us. You know, it makes me think of uh, when I was a kid, I was probably nine or 10 years old. Uh, my church did this program called Awanas. Um, it's typically a, a Baptist program where we teach the students how to uh, memorize scripture. And it's like a competition you know, if you memorize so many scriptures, you get badges and you get, you know, trophies and all kinds of stuff. And you get money that you can go buy stuff with at this little store. And, and, uh, and so we did that. And our, our uh, age group for the boys took this camping trip out. And uh, we're out there. It's in the woods. I'm, to this day, I'm still not very cool with the dark. But I used to be terrified of it. Like, I would shut down. I was so afraid of the dark. So we're all sitting around this campfire. And it's just boys. There's probably 15 to 20 of us boys out there, 9 to 10 years old, and there's a bunch of dads. So naturally, ghost stories come up, you know, and they start telling all these stories. Well, I'm terrified, okay? My dad's over at the grill cooking. So the only person that I really trust in this world is, is away from me. You know, he's probably 23 away. So I'm sitting there, and I start crying because I'm terrified, and people are like, oh, come on, you know. But I'm now, I mean, fear has hit me at the deepest level I can have. Every little snap of a twig, oh, man, that must be a ghost coming to get me. It's got to be somebody trying to come in and just take, you know, fear has gripped me all the way down to where I'm starting to scream. And I'm saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And my dad walks over, and we, we had to pay money to come to this trip. And, I mean, we were broke. Like, so broke is a joke, but it wasn't funny. Broke. Had to save to be poor broke and we paid so my dad was like you know he, he used to call me little buddy he said little buddy you know we've already paid and it's already halfway through the night why don't we just stay and I'm you know I'm just hysterical no no I want to go home you know I've got to get out of here and he sat down and he put his arm around me and he said little buddy do you trust me and I said, yes, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, the sobbing that you do as a little kid. I said, yeah. He said, do you think I would ever let something happen to you? I said, no. He said, do you think I love you? I said, yeah. He said, then know that if you're with me, nothing can touch you. And he just sat there the rest of the night, told somebody else to cook. Everybody else went walking around trying to go find ghosts or something or goat man or whatever it was. You know, and Goatman's a local lore here in the, the Midlothian area, Cedar Hill and all that. And um, and so they went walking around trying to find this, you know, and they're all getting scared and walking together. And, and here I am with just me and my dad watching this this fire, the campfire. And I remember thinking over and over again, as long as I'm with my dad who loves me, nothing can touch me. And I wasn't afraid anymore. By the time everybody came back, I was walking around grabbing wood. I mean, at the edge of the fire where you can't see anything, I was fine because I'm with my dad. See, that's what this is to exist in perfect love. That we don't have to be afraid because God's with us. You know, the scripture says that if God be for us, whom shall we fear? If God is with us, then who could come against us? It's a beautiful thing that if he's here, it's, it's like God comes down in that moment and puts his arm around you and says, little buddy, do you trust me? Don't you know that I love you? Do you think I'd let anything, anything happen to you? 
Yeah, I think about that when it comes to like when a when a demonic person ha- springs up and they, they they you know we're trying to, to cast the demon out of the person. I'm no longer afraid of this demon because you don't understand that I have my dad with me. And if that demon wants to try anything to me, who's he got to mess with? My dad. You know, it's the same way I felt that night around that fire. If any ghost, any demon, anything came out of that woods, my dad would have ripped it apart. I don't know if he really could have. But my dad would have ripped it apart, man. And I had that sunk deep within me. That's what perfect love does. That's what we're talking about with God. That it hits you and you think, you stand up and you say, you know, like Paul, kill me then, man. To die is to gain. Well, we're going to throw you in prison. Throw me in prison then to live as Christ. I'll write to the churches. I'll encourage them. What are you going to do to me? I've already died. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. I've been crucified. What are you going to do to me? My dad's here, man. You must not know who he is. You know, we, we like think about like back on the playground. You know, you're like, my dad could beat up your dad. And you're going, you know, and it's like, man, but when you think about our heavenly father, nobody can touch him. You know, I look back at Job. Me and Reese are talking today about uh, Job in 33-3. Uh, yeah, Job 33.3, where Job's been calling out saying, God, you better answer me. And you go, and, and God's like, all right, that's it. And he says, gird yourself up like a man. It's a bold statement, man. But here's God coming down like, we're about to throw bows, son. And God is not somebody you want to throw bows with. But just think about that. God is somebody who, because of his love for us, says, I will go. And Isaiah, um, oh gosh, what is it? Between 40 and 43, the chapters, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but he says, behold, I give nations for your ransom. Is it 41? I give nations for your ransom. If you were ask it for me, I'd give uh, uh, Ethiopia, whatever it is, over on your behalf. I mean, it's insane. He says that I'd give an entire nation just for you because I love you. If anybody came up against you, I would rip them apart because I love you. And if I'm here with you, nothing can get you. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 3. This is where Jesus, uh, the boat's out on the water. It's rocking. You'll see in just a second. It says, at that, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is, oh no, sorry, this is uh, childlike faith. <laughs> just kidding. Pause that. Matthew 18, 1 through 3. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm, I'm mentioning this verse because I wanted to point back to that campfire. That, that childlike faith that I had of my dad. That I had never seen my dad be whooped by anything. I had never seen my dad scared of anything. Yeah, he told me a few years back when he climbed up on this ladder, it extended like 50 feet up. It wasn't tied down. We're chopping this tree down. It could have knocked him over and fell. It's right next to power lines. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that says he could die, right? And I pull this thing down. I'm like 25, 24, 25 at the time, and I walk over, and I'm thinking, Dad is fearless. And I was like, Dad, how do you do that? How are you not afraid? And he got down, and his knees are buckling. He's like, are you kidding me? I was terrified. And like one of the, seriously, one of the first times in my life, 24, 25 years old, thought, my dad can be afraid. And it sounds silly, but it's because I, I, my dad was super, my dad was better than Superman. My dad was invincible. You know, I mean, he would get sick and be like, it's nothing and go to work with the flu. And I'm like, good grief. I can barely breathe when I have a cold, like I'm a weenie. And my dad is, he's the toughest dude ever. And here he is with fear. And it, it was like, whoa, that, that, that can't happen. But my childlike faith, my, my childlike innocence of my dad was, was taken away in that moment. Because now I can see that he has a weakness. But as that 9 or 10-year-old by the fire, nothing could touch my dad. I mean, an entire army could stand up and he'd be like, you know, Achilles in the movie Troy and just wipe them all out. And be like, is that all that you got? You know, and, and just... Nobody could touch him. That's the childlike faith that Jesus is talking about. When he says, who's the greatest? Really? And he pulls a kid over. 
I mean, how offensive does it have to be? Like, Peter's almost 30, maybe 30, maybe older than 30 years old. He's married. He's a full-grown man. And he's like, who's the greatest, Jesus, huh? Like, look at me. I'm, I'm a man. And then Jesus pulls over this child and goes, this right here. This little kid that could barely read, that has snot bubbles come out of his nose, that runs around and makes you all annoyed, this right here. This kid is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, if you want to be the greatest, you have to humble yourself like him. Because you see, kids don't really know what it is to be prideful. Kids don't really know, and I know you're probably going, yeah, right. But think about when they play and they, 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 on their own, they're just so creative and they want others to join in. And they're never wanting to play alone. They always want someone. It's a beautiful thing. Kids don't really see, you know, at, at a younger age, they're kind of taught to think, oh, somebody's fat and ugly. Because in the early stages of life, I don't care what you look like. Let's just play. Let's be friends. There's an innocence. That's what Jesus is talking about. In your faith, in your walk, where's your childlike faith? Where's your innocence? Where's, where's, where, that's, the, that's what the offense in the garden was when he said, who told you you were naked? Because they were made naked. And Jesus said, what shame came upon you? What? Who told you? You know, and I feel like he's talking to the disciples here going, this one doesn't even know yet that there could be failure. Who told you you could fail? Who told you that you weren't good enough? So if you humble yourself, if you act like this child and think, if my daddy tells it to me, then it's going to happen. Yeah, I remember back, like, did your parents ever say, hey, on the way home, uh, or when I get home from work on Friday, we're going to go to the movies and we're going to get ice cream. Anybody ever have that? Right? What was the reality? When, it, when dad gets home, we're going to the movies and we're getting ice cream. Right? And your friends could be like, it's probably not going to happen. No, you don't understand. Dad said. And your mom will be like, well, he's been really tired. Money's been, you know, all this stuff. Trying to, trying to build doubt into you. You're going, but dad told me, you know, you're waiting outside. Dad's coming. Dad is coming. That's this faith that's, that's talking about. Jesus told me, man, that greater things would I do. So greater things are going to flow through me. Jesus told me that when I laid my hands on the sick, they'd recover. That when I prayed for the dead, they'd raise. That when I said to that tree, get up and move, it would go. When I said to the mountains, be laid low, they'd crumble out of my weight. Jesus told me that this would happen. So we had to grab that like a little kid and think, no matter what happens, no matter what we faced in life, it's going to happen because my dad said it would. It's the childlike faith that, that inherits the kingdom of God. Let's look at Mark 4. 35 and 41. It says, on that day, this is where the boat is. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, sat, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this then, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, we got to preface this. This is one of the times where he fed 5,000 people. They just saw him take a few fish and a couple of loaves and spread it out for what's, that's 5,000 men. So probably 30 to 60,000 people. That's a big deal. But what gets them? The winds and the waves obey this guy. Who is this? They're filled with fear of Jesus, the power that he has. But what's he state? He says something very clear at the very beginning. Let us go across to the other side. This is why he says, have you still no faith? Because he said, we're going across to the other side. He didn't say, let us go out and drown. He didn't say, let us try. He said, let us go out to the other side. So the winds and waves come. And this is a boat full of fishermen. Okay, so they're, they're afraid. They know what happens. They know that they've had friends that went out and family that went out that never came home. It's a, it's a very real deal. There's other ships out there. They might crash into each other. 
So they're afraid. The Greek here says that they were scared to death. They literally thought they were going to die. So they tell them, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You know, really, you're just going to sleep? You don't hear us out here screaming? Don't you care at all? I mean, to think about that in your, in your life. God, haven't you heard my prayer? I don't have a job. Don't you care that my bills are coming? Don't you care that my, my dad's sick? He's dying. What are you going to do? You're just, you're just sleeping. What are you going to do? But what did he say? Let us go to the other side. And he fell asleep. It's as simple as that, that Jesus wasn't worried. Because he said we're going to the other side. So their faith should have been that childlike faith that said, I'm not afraid of these waves. I'm not afraid of these winds because Jesus told me that we're going to the other side. So we're going to get to the other side. We're going to have a movie and ice cream. We're going to have it because he said. But instead they go and wake him up. And it says this. It says he rebuked the storm. Now, I love this because people usually say like they wake him up and he's like, you know, the, the, the movies and people dramatize it where he wakes up and he's like, peace, be still, right? And it all calms down and he goes back and falls asleep. I bet he was probably like, how do you want, man? Like, golly, I'm trying to sleep here, man. You know, just fed 60,000 people, not good enough. You know, my Jesus is kind of sarcastic. Um, he just is. I read it that way in the scriptures. But he's, he just woke him up. I don't wake up very easy. And most people when they wake up are kind of grouchy. You know, so I picture him going up, right? And it says he rebuked it, okay? To rebuke something, it's not to whip it, you know, like some people think like a spanking. It's to correct wrong behavior, okay? So the reason why we spank our kids is because we're rebuking them. To correct wrong behavior. You don't act that way. He rebukes the wind and the waves. So this is Jesus getting up, like rubbing his eyes, like, can't even let me sleep right now. And he's like, look at the waves going, why are you misbehaving? You know better. You know I'm on this boat. You know I'm trying to sleep, so stop. Right? And there's exclamation, mark, mark, exclamation marks here where it says, peace, be still. This isn't a peace. Be still. He looks out and goes, peace, be still. Right? I mean, Paul, think about when you're, when you're a little kid, you did something stupid. Your dad wouldn't go, Paul, stop it. You're going to get in trouble. You do it again. No, he's going, Paul, you do it again, you know what's going to happen. Very stern. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's rebuking it. Wind, waves, you better quit. I ain't got time for you. I'm trying to sleep. That's what he's talking about because he has confidence that's going to happen. That's what Peter should have done. Gone out and gone, hey, maybe a little quieter. Hey, uh, wind, waves, Jesus is trying to sleep so I can't yell at you because uh, he's going to get mad. But you should probably quit because he don't like it when you act out. Right, because we've been given dominion over, over this earth. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is what he says. He looks at him and says, why, why, why are you so afraid? I told you we're going to the other side. Have you still no faith? Like, really? You just saw me do all this stuff? You've seen the dead raised? you see me heal people? Feed all these people? Do all kinds of stuff? And you, you think some waves are going to get me, man? Really? What? Another way that this reads in the Greek here is, you have little faith, right? But we, we read this all the time, and it's, it's like Jesus is being derogatory. Oh, just, well, you have no faith? Gosh, you little faith. Grow up, right? Like he's being, he's chiding them. But that's, Jesus can't do that. He can't. Let's look. John chapter 12, verse 49 and 50 says this. Uh, and, and, and John 5, 19. It says that Jesus, he's saying this. I only say what the Father says, what I hear him saying. And I only do what I see him doing. It's found in these, these two verse spots. John 12, 49 and 50. And John 5, 19. So this means that anything that Jesus does is a perfect prophetic statement or prophetic action. 
Because the, the prophetic statement is hearing what God is saying and then proclaiming it on the earth. A pro- prophetic action is seeing what God is doing, seeing what's happening in the heavenlies, and then doing it. So a healing is a prophetic action because we see that they're already healed in heaven, and we declare it, and it happens. So everything that Jesus does is prophetic. Now, that might not mean a whole bunch to people, right? Until we look at 1 Corinthians 14.3. And Paul says this, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. You see, prophecy is never condescending. If somebody says they have a prophetic word and they're going, Bo, you're dumb, and I hate your eyelashes, and God says you should shave your belly button, right? Because it stinks. And then you're like, that's not prophetic. You just beat me up the entire time. Instead, you could be like, Bo, you need to get educated, and you're going to study, and, you know, it's a joke because I'm still calling them dumb. Uh, but they, they, they come by and they, the prophetic word is more of, you know, you could be this. You're here. You're at this low level. But, man, you could raise, raise up. You rise above where you are. That's what the prophecy does. It's called, uh, it says here that it, it, it upbuilds. Another word that we say there is to edify. Okay? And when we edify, it means to upbuild, right? How many of you have ever heard the word edifice? right? An edifice is a building. It can be anything. It's just, it's just, it's a building, not purpose for anything yet. So it says to build them like you're building a building. Okay. Now, sometimes I I do a lot of house remodeling. Sometimes when you're building a house, you have to dig down into the ground. You have to remove stuff because you got to lay a good foundation. So sometimes a, 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 a prophetic word, it can be a rebuke, but it's because they need to build upon it. So if they stop at the negative, if they stop at something that's cutting into you, that's not prophetic, man. That's pathetic, and you don't need to listen to those people. They always build it, always uplifts. It says it encourages. This statement means it literally is, is to take courage and put it into somebody, right? So it wouldn't be to come over and go, Lauren, uh, that lion is twice your size, and you're going to die. I'm just encouraging you. Right? That's, the, that's the opposite of it. Instead, it'd be, you don't understand, you're the daughter of the Most High. That lion better shut its mouth when it comes to you because God, you know, and I'm putting courage into you now. I'm speaking in. What's the scripture say about your life? You have a call on your life. I'm encouraging you. You're not done yet. I'm taking courage and I'm, I'm shoving it into you. I'm encouraging you. Sometimes it hurts because, I mean, you're, you're seriously just placing it into people. It's not just taking courage. You're, you're putting it. You're putting courage in. It's, and then it's consolation. Okay? And I think of consolation, I think of like consolation prizes. Like, woo, you tried, you know? But that's not what this type of consolation is. This is the type of consolation of, I know you're going through a really hard time. It's counseling. I know you feel like God isn't listening, but he says this. And he does this, this, this. Sometimes the greatest prophetic act of consolation that you can give somebody is to walk up and say, Jesus loves you, and just wrap him up in a hug. It happened to me before, and I remember I just, I was so angry at God. So angry. Y'all hear me say that a lot. I'm dumb. I get angry with God, and I get fed up, and my faith doesn't, it's not childlike. I think he's not coming on Friday to take me to movies and and ice cream. I don't think he's good sometimes. And this person came up to me. It's a little bitty lady. And she said, hey, Jesus told me to tell you something, right? And I'm, I'm bitter. I'm like, what? You know, but I mean, she's a mountain of a lady at like five foot nothing. And she just started crying. She said, he loves you so much. And then she just gave me this hug. And I mean, like, you ever seen the best cry out of her video? You know, I know deep down in my heart, I love you. And he's like, yeah. That's how it was. I mean, just the ugliest of ugly cries. Because it was prophetic in my life. She consoled me. So I'm showing you here that the prophetic never, ever destroys. It always builds up. So Jesus could not have looked at his disciples and, and said, why are, you, why are you afraid? As if to go, why are, you, why are you afraid? You're dumb. I'm with you. <laughs> you still have no faith? Gosh. Like he's lost patience. Instead he's saying, why, why, are, you, why are you afraid? Let me, let me build you up here. Why are you afraid? Do you not know who you are? I called you. I empowered you. Do you not remember you've cast out demons? Do you not remember you've healed the sick? Do you not remember where we've been together? Why are you, why are you still afraid? 
Remember who we are together. Live with me. Abide with me. He said, you, you, still, you still have no faith? So what you've done over here, this little faith that you've had over here, that casting out demons and, and healing the sick and raising the dead and all the stuff that you've done so far, man, that must have been little faith. What are you going to do when you get big? That's what I believe that Jesus is speaking that's what I believe that Jesus is telling the disciples when he wakes up and he rebukes the wind of the waves and says, you better stop acting up, right? I'm going to put you in timeout, see? You know, winds, if you could act like, I'm not, I'm, you go to your room. He turns back to the disciples and says, man, let me encourage you for a second. Why are you afraid? You're big and bad. Look at you. You got nothing to be afraid of. What's going to touch you, man? I'm with you too. You think something's going to come against us that we can't handle? Yeah, right. You got no faith, then what you did was no faith. You got little faith, and what you've done is little faith. Let's grow, man. Let's keep going. You see, that's what I think that Jesus is really saying. Because otherwise, it would be negative. Otherwise, he'd be saying something contrary to what the Father says. So he's building them up. So Jesus' statement of little faith, it's not derogatory. It's, it's an invitation. It's him saying, hey... <laughs> Guys, we've all been at this low level, right? And the disciples, I guarantee you, because I know I do this to myself, right? Oh, man, did you see that broken arm get healed? Pfft, get on my level, son. I got some faith, right? And the disciples, they're casting out demons left and right. The disciples, they're, they're raising the dead. They're healing the sick like crazy. They, I mean, they're just boom, 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 boom. Like, it's, it's better than a Benny Hinn service. People just falling all around, you know, just... Wham, 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 wham. The spirit just flowing all over people. They got it. So I guarantee you they're probably walking around with a little swag like, that's right. When I lay my hands on the sick, you better believe they get healed, baby. What's up? You ain't know me. I'm Peter. My shadow heals people. Get some. Right? I guarantee there was some sort of pride on them. So what's Jesus saying? Oh, you thought that was something? Nah, man, that's little faith. That's nothing. What we're going to do, that's something. You better be believing for bigger. You better be believing for greater. I mean, that's mind-blowing. Because how many of you, once you've seen God move, you're like, whoa, this is as good as it gets. This is crazy. I'm a super Christian. I got it going on. And then Jesus is like, gosh, it's still nothing, man. Like, you haven't seen anything. You think that's something? You ain't seen nothing yet. It's an invitation. It's, it's an encouragement. So he's saying, hey, don't be bound to what we've done. Don't be bound to where we've been. Don't, don't be stuck there, right? We've built you up this edifice of a single story. Now let's grow a, let's grow a second story. There needs to be more. You know, we talk about receiving more of the Holy Spirit, more of the fullness. How can you receive more of something that you're full of? Because you grow. You grow. That's what an edifice does. It keeps building. You edify. So Jesus is saying that. Little faith, I want you to have more. Let's grow. Two stories. Oh, that's cool. I want you to have a whole condo building. I want you to have the, 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 the Burj, whatever, in Dubai. You know, the tallest building. I want you to be the biggest building you can be for my Holy Spirit. Keep growing. Oh, wow, you saw a million come to Jesus in one day. Keep growing. That's still small. That's still little. You know, it's, it's like, a, like a baseball coach, right? I think about that because I used to play baseball. And uh, whenever I was, I was, you know, playing, I hit a home run. I'm like, yeah, I did the best thing, right? I hit a home run. And he was like, cool, that's just one. How many more are you going to hit? And instead of being like, what? That was only one. I was like, oh, I'm going to hit like 20 more. Watch me, son. You don't know who I am. And it, it encouraged me to keep going back to the batting cage, just hitting over and over and over and over because I'm going to hit a home run every time I swing because I have room for improvement. That's what he's speaking of with his little faith. That's what perfect love does to us, that we keep growing. You see, if, you, if, we, if we fail to think about this as a relationship, because that's what this is about. Remember, he proposed to disciples in John 14. So, Bo... <laughs> As you're growing in relationship with Chelsea, whenever y'all got together, what, three years ago? Was that right? About, yeah, about three years ago. Uh, do you love her more today than you did then? Absolutely. You know, and you can't comprehend the love that you're going to have for her even the moment she walks down the aisle, can you? Not at all. You've never been there before, but you know it's going to grow, right? 
You know, or you hear people talk about, like, I didn't know I could love that much until I held my child for the first time. There's just something that just overwhelmed me, and I had this new level of love. That's what we're talking about. It's a relationship. So every day we should be growing with Jesus going, I didn't know I could believe this much. I didn't know I could have that much faith. I didn't know I could love that much. Because we never stop. Matthew 14, 22, 23 says this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. In fact, it says it was about 600 to 700 feet from the land. Okay, it's ways on out there. Very deep water. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is around 3 to 6 a.m., okay, dark as it gets, the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Y'all remember the sea walk that all dance people do? Jesus was the first one. He's walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, right? So they're like, whoa, it's a ghost. Oh, man. All right. I mean, they're, they're terrified, like. We're done. We can't beat a ghost. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Immediately. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is crazy. They go out on the water. Again, the fishermen, waves are coming like crazy. Jesus comes walking out like it's a, it's a ghost. They're freaking out, right? So what's Peter say? Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. Now, what's Jesus say? Does Jesus say, Peter, come? No, he says, come, okay? Because I, wanted, I want you to catch something here. An invitation for one is an invitation for all. So when Peter said, call me out, he didn't say, Peter, only you come. He said, come. That boat should have emptied. Andrew should have gone, well, if Peter can do it, I can do it. And James should have been like, I, I'm, I'm the one that he loves. He ain't going to let me drown. I'm getting out on that water. You know, and John would be like, or, you know, James, yeah, John's the one that Jesus loves. James is his older brother. But like, I ain't let my little brother go out there and do something. You know, at least if he drowns, mom's going to kill me. I might, might as well drown with him. You know, like, let's get out here. Let's do something. It's an invitation. You're going to tell me a group of guys on their own out there says, one of them says, hey, uh, call me out and I'll go do that. And the rest of them are going, hmm, good for Peter. Wish I could do it. I, mean, I think there's probably some competition. So I, I don't understand why the boat didn't empty. Because he didn't say just Peter. It was an open invitation. Come. This is why he says to them, little faith. You don't get it. You could do this. If you see me doing it, guess what you're going to do? Greater. All right, it's, it's amazing to me. So Peter, right, he gets out of the boat, okay? Now, the waves haven't stopped, okay? And if you've ever been on a boat with waves, it's really hard to walk. It's especially hard to get out of the boat. And now, all of a sudden, you're standing on the waves, okay? So he's walking on uneven surface, and he's like, well, okay, okay. You know, walking, stumbling, and, and getting over it. But, you know, he's, he's walking to Jesus, walking to him on water, right? And what's, it, what's he notice? Does he notice he's walking on water? He notices the waves and the wind. And then it says he's beginning to sink. That's a whole other sermon itself. How do you begin to sink? I, I, just, I go straight in. I don't just slow. I picture Peter like, oh, no, I'm going in. Jesus, Jesus, help. I'm going in, especially on big waves. But it says what? Immediately Jesus stretched his hand out. Okay, this is the insane thing. He's at Jesus. He's already there. And then he goes, oh, no, I can't do this. I can't get to Jesus. You're already there, Peter. You done walked on the water all the way there. Why do you think you can't do it now? But again, it parallels to our lives where we think about all that we've overcome, how close we are to Jesus. We're right there, man. We're overcoming everything in our lives. The waves didn't stop. We're dancing on them. And instead, we get right to that moment of breakthrough. We go, uh-oh, I can't do this anymore. 
and we fall apart, but immediately Jesus and his goodness reaches down. And then what's to say? When they get back to the boat, so Peter had to walk again on the waves. You know what I picture? I picture Jesus putting his arm around him saying, Peter, Peter, do you trust me? Do you know that I love you? Peter, do you think I would let you drown? Then let's walk back to the boat. And Peter going back, having this experience like nine or 10 year old me with my dad, thinking if, if Jesus is with me, then I can walk on this water. Why did I ever doubt? Why was I ever afraid of some stupid water? We're walking on it together. It's a beautiful moment. He gets back and says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now this you in the Greek, this is not singular. This is plural. Oh, all of y'all. Here in Texas, we say, all y'all, why'd you doubt? Why'd y'all doubt? That's what Jesus is saying. I called all of y'all. And you ain't come. Why'd you doubt? Little faith, man. We got to grow. Got to keep going. Peter, you were almost to me, man. You built some. Third story now. Little faith. You got to keep going. You know, Thomas, we're still working on your doubt issues here. Little faith. We got to keep growing. <laughs> A little Bible joke for you. But this is what Jesus is saying. And then they worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. It's amazing. You see, there's, there's moments in our lives that we're going to have to do something that's crazy, like walking on water, right? Or leaving a job or moving across the, the world, right? And people are going to go, you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. And it's going to be miserable. And you're just you're looking at it. But what happens when you succeed? It's a moment for people to stop and go, whoa. Truly, he's the son of God. He's okay. God has held him. Yeah. Yeah. So they see miracle after miracle. And then who is this that the wind and waves obey him? They're, they're astonished. But I'm telling you, when we operate in perfect love, okay, this isn't just a personal thing anymore. It, it grows over, okay? Because the disciples, they weren't just worshiping him for walking on water. They're worshiping him because they just saw one of their best friends get out and do something. And now they're growing going, whoa, 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 whoa. Peter makes a lot of mistakes, right? You know, because I, I can imagine Peter sitting there in that boat going, hey, Jesus, uh, if it's you, call me out. Andrew's like, uh, you remember that whole, like, get, get the behind me Satan thing? Like, you should calm down, man. You know, you, you talk before you think, Peter. Calm it, right? And James and John are like, hey, Peter, you work with us in our dad's boating and fishing company. Uh, we know water, and you, you, you can't do that. You're not Jesus. You know, it's just, I, I've told you before, I think, I think Peter's just this good old boy that has this attitude of nobody has ever believed in me except this Jesus guy. Nothing's ever worked except this Jesus thing. Nothing. So if he calls me out, I'm going. I dropped my nets already. I didn't left my wife. What else do I have to lose? Nothing. That's why we need to recall what God has done in our lives. That's why it's good to share our testimonies with each other. Even if we've heard it a thousand times. Because there might be something in there that goes, whoa. I forgot about that. You know, I was just sharing my faith uh, last week when I was down in South Texas working with the, uh, the disaster relief people. And, and uh, this guy smoking a cigar. And I was like, oh, I used to smoke. And I was naming off the stuff. And I used to drink this with it and different things. You know, and he was like, do you want one? I said, no, 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 no I'm delivered from that, man. I don't smoke anymore. And uh, he was like, oh, why? And I said, because Jesus wrapped me up in his love so tight that I just had to stop. Yeah, he was like, what? And so I got to share my testimony with him. And in that moment, I was just like, it's my story, man. It's mine. I know it in and out. But in that moment, telling it to him, I remembered, wow. He pulled me under his arm and he said, do you trust me? <laughs> he said, I can clean you. And he cleaned me up of all my stuff. And I was just like, man, me and Jesus have been somewhere. See, that's what happens when we share our story. So what happens. It's part of it, building ourselves up and encouraging our own selves. Then we go, whoa, whoa, hold on now, hold on now, wait a second. I've done all this. I can do that. I've walked on water. I can do, I, man, this is nothing. That was little faith moments. You know, when I walked away from drugs and drinking and smoking and stuff, that was young Christian moments. I hadn't really been that many places with Jesus yet, but now I have. Man, I'm a five-story building now. Let's go to six. 
Let's go to seven. Let's go to eight. Wherever you are, wherever you've been with Jesus, keep going. Don't stop. Keep going because that's that little faith. What are you going to do when you get big? He said this, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. That's tiny. What you could do with little faith, what are you going to do with big when you grow? And finally, it says, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It says, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, there's, there's a lot of times that we, we, uh, we pray for people because, well, God told us to pray for people, right? Oh, they're sick. I need to do that because Jesus is going to get mad if I don't pray for them. Uh, you know, he commanded me to go make disciples, so I should probably lead people to Jesus because I don't, I don't want to get there. Him go, why don't you do what I told you to do? Right? As if he's going to beat us and be a bad father. But perfect love says, man, he's so good that I, I just have to go do this. I have to go pray for these people because he loves me so much and I love him so much. And it's just pouring out of us. So whoever fears, they haven't been perfected in love. And that's me. That's you. That's all of us. That we have moments of doubt. We have those moments where we fail. And I think this is where we get wrapped up at, okay? Matthew 25, 21. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enjoy, enter into the joy of your master. Now notice Jesus didn't quote here and say, and he said, well done, my good and successful servant. You've been successful with little. Now I'm going to give you much. No, he said, well done, my good and faithful. Faithful. You see, I like Peter a whole lot because this cat, he tries, man, over and over and over again. He's like that kid in gym class that's trying to hit the three, you know, the three-pointer and you're like, you're not going to hit it. But he keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. And pretty soon he's, he's hitting them. You know, he might get one out of ten. And you're like, you stink. And then he keeps going, it keeps going. And he's, he, now he's seven out of ten because he kept trying. He kept trying. So that's Peter to me. You know, oh, gee, I, I got to go die. No, you don't, Jesus. I'll die with you. No, you won't. Oh, okay. You're going you're gonna to deny me. No, I won't. I denied him. <laughs> You know, you're going to walk on water, you think. You're walking on water again. You know, he just keeps all this cycling around. Until all of a sudden, he says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. On your faith, Peter. On your faithfulness. You didn't leave me. Even when you betrayed me, you came back. Even when you walk away, you come and restore. So he says, well, done, my good and faithful servant. Now, this is freedom, guys. Because when I lay my hands on the sick and they don't recover, Jesus isn't going, you failed again. There goes your salvation. Should have had better faith. You need a 100% success rate. But there's people in the church that teach that. If you're not successful all the time, when you lay your hands on there, then that, are you really saved? When you pray for the sick and they don't recover, are you really saved? Yeah, I'm really saved. I'm just working through love right now. Right. Has nothing to, you know, I'm just trying to accept love and be loved and love him and let it pour out of me. And in perfect love, it happens. So if anything, I'm just a scared kid trying to figure this thing out. And he looks down and says, you're faithful. And I love it. You know, I guarantee you there's people that are going to get to heaven that have prayed for a million sick people and never seen a single person healed. And Jesus is going to go, man, woo! Michael, did you see the faith on this one? A million people prayed for. And Michael might be like, what? It didn't work. And he's like, it didn't matter. They had the faith. That after 999,999 times, they still had the faith to pray again. They never stopped. You know, and people go, they, they've prayed over, you know, a million dead people, never raised one. Jesus is like, this cat knows how to pray, man. Look at him. He's got some faith to him. He didn't say successful. He said faithful. He said keep trying. He said keep growing. You know, what's his, what's his goal for us? Man, it's a million-story tall building, and I may only get 50,000 stories, but when I get there, he's going, oh, man, that's the best 50,000-story building I've ever seen in my life. I love it because we keep going because we move from glory to glory because we move from time to time. We don't get bound up in what it is. You've been faithful with over a little. I still set you over much. So Jesus doesn't require us to be successful. He requires us to be faithful. And he says, when you're faithful with a little, okay? When you're faithful with little faith. Oh, you of little faith. 
When you're faithful with little, what's he say? I will make you over much. When our faith is just over headaches and we pray and we see those healed, pretty soon we start getting the, bo- the boldness to pray you know, over broken bones. And we see that happen because we've been faithful with the little. When our faith is just over teaching children the gospel, pretty soon our faith boils over and starts to be able to teach others. When our faith is just about loving our friends. You see, when our faith is just about little things, it begins to grow over and over and over again. And it boils over to bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Because that's what Jesus says. When you're faithful, I'll set you over much. So tonight, we need to focus on the fact that his perfect love. Like I said, like he sits down next to the fire. right? He puts his arms around you and says, do you trust me? Thank you for listening to the Sola Podcast. If you would like any more information on Sola or the parent church, One Church, then please visit us at discoveronechurch.org.